the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to this KGNW broadcast special, Heart of the City. Pastors, ministry leaders, and churches have received a call to serve their communities with the love and compassion of Christ. The call is from God's heart to the Heart of the City. Well, this is Heart of the City. I'm Chuck Olmstead, the Director of Local Ministry Development for 820 AM The Word. I have a special guest with me today, uh, someone that uh, you hear on the air every Monday through Friday at 8 o'clock with Kingdom Talks. His name is Dr. Andre Sims from Christ the King Bible Fellowship. Andre, welcome to Heart of the City. Thank you so much, Chuck. What a what a blessing to be here. Great to see you. Well, you and I have uh, known each other for quite a few years yeah. now, yeah, and it's a uh, get to get a chance to hear you on the on the radio. I, many people don't realize, but I'm a reg- I'm a listener just like everybody else is. So I turn <laughs> on the radio and I listen to to KG and W and get a chance to hear you preach. But one of the things about this program is I love to hear good teaching, but I also love to hear the story, kind of the backstory of how people came to faith, because, you know, you weren't born a Christian, right? Not possible. It's not possible, (laughs) contrary to popular opinion. Right, right. right. (laughs) And so there's a... There is a story behind how you came, uh, became a pastor and how you came to faith, and we want to hear that story. So let's start at the beginning. Sure. Grow sure. up in this area, or are you uh, from, I, from around here? I am not. I, I was born in Detroit, raised in Chicago. And so uh, my backstory is I, you know, I was one of those mandatory church attendance kids, right? So both of my parents are born again, and, and church was a part of our family uh, from I'm sure well, since I was in the womb kind of thing. Mm, right. And uh, so I was exposed to the gospel, but um, education kind of displaced the truth in my family as I grew older, meaning that my parents grew up in impoverished Detroit and didn't want their child to experience the same environmental issues and the challenges that they faced. And so they worked very hard to move to the suburbs, to move out of Detroit. So we moved to Flint, Michigan, uh, prior to the 21st century Flint water. Right. That, so that's where all the industry of Detroit moved. They moved out of Detroit into Flint. So my dad took a job with AC Spark Plug and worked on his PhD at the University of Michigan. And that was what got them out of Detroit. And so education kind of became the God of my house. And my parents' Christian faith became nominal in practice. So I, I didn't hear the gospel from my parents, hmm. um, but I, you know, I saw the gospel being modeled in the sense of no drinking, no smoking, no cursing. Um, so I understood where that was coming from. But, uh, you know, as a teenager, that's that's no fun. No, no, no. <laughs> so, a, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I probably need to do what they've done, but I need to wait till I'm 30, got a wife, you know, mm-hmm. uh, white picket fence and a. BMW, then do Jesus. Right now, <laughs> right. it's time to go, you know, play Hellion in the streets kind of thing. Right. So, um, I, basically, I, I wound up in the disposition of thinking, uh, Chuck, that my value, my self-worth came 
from the acceptance of others. Hmm. So I, I was making compromising choices, even though I was raised to know better, because I thought that if they didn't invite me to their party or if I wasn't as popular as some other person, then maybe that meant I had less value. So I wound up making choices um, that I thought were going to validate me, uh, they, but they proved to be choices that hurt me and my family. Mm -hmm. And uh, because we know that sin doesn't satisfy, it only pacifies. Yeah. So you end up doing more than you had anticipated. And, and that's kind of my before Christ days, my yeah. BC days. Did your, did your parents see that going on in your life? Or were you kind of like a lot of kids, you're able to hide that from... Yeah, I was the was... chameleon, right? right? I'm the suburban kid. I'm on the National Honor Society. I'm vice president of my senior class. I'm doing well in athletics. Um, you know, by the time I'm a senior in high school, I'm a preseason blue chip high school All-American in football. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I was hiding it, but my father, uh, <laughs> let me know on more than one occasion, you know, I see you interesting, you know, and it's kind of this phrase in the African American community. The phrase goes, you can't run game on a gamer. Uh huh. So well, daddy knew my, my dad knew that the <laughs> yeah. things weren't quite right. Right. But, uh, like I said, his hangup was academics. Mm hmm. So long as I was in National Honor Society, as long as I was bringing home straight A's, whatever I was doing hadn't moved me away from his goal for me. Yeah. So I wasn't confronted head on until I turned 15 and stole my parents' car while my father was away on business and got caught having done so. Oh, my. And my father sent me to Detroit back to my grandmother's house. Because he said, I don't appreciate the suburban life that they've provided. And that was the beginning of my of my decision making. Am I going to stay in this wannabe thug life that I don't have to live because we live well? We live in a middle class gated community in the mm -hmm. suburb. I don't need to do any of the foolishness that I'm doing. And wow, that that had to have been tough. It rocked my world, Chuck. I was I was my dad's apple of his eye. You can't send me away. Yeah. But because he had been seeing changes in me that he wasn't lecturing me on, he just dropped the hammer. Wow. So what did your friends think when that happened? Your 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 current friends, I mean at school and all that, and they see you going back into the city. Yeah, so they well, of course now see we're We've moved to Chicago already. Okay. So I'm not I'm not in Detroit anymore. All right. So when I was in sixth grade, we moved to Chicago. Uh huh. So I, I'm going back to uh, to Detroit with I don't I don't even have those relationships anymore. Oh my. You know, and so uh, because I'm when we moved, I was eleven, mm -hmm. and now I'm going back, and I'm fifteen, going to be sixteen. So is grandma a woman of faith? Grandma's a woman of faith, and, you know, I'm the firstborn grandchild, and I can do no wrong, so she's, you know, just beside herself. That yeah. I have done enough, made enough poor choices to be her challenge uh -huh. or her responsibility. Uh-huh. So she was not happy, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that made for a tough so you got grandma's concerned, and then you've got grandma's prayers probably piling all over the top of you. That's right. That but time. I'm, 
I'm under the impression that you can be good enough to go to heaven. I don't quite understand the gospel. Mm -hmm. I, I'm looking at external works and I'm thinking, man, I got to clean my life up. I don't need to receive Christ to have this inward change that only the Holy Spirit can provide. I need to just make external changes that bring on the appearance that I've reached some kind of moral high ground. And then if your good outweighs your bad, when you meet the master, then you're in. You're in. So, yeah. I, so I didn't clearly understand the gospel. Yeah. And I went on a let me change my life campaign from 15 to 17. It was no longer cursing, no longer get high, smoke weed, no longer get in fights. And because athletics was going well, my, my peer group thought I was making changes not to harm my scholarship opportunities. Mm, mm -hmm. But I, I was trying to present myself as someone who uh, my parents could trust. Yeah, yeah. Without Christ. Mm -hmm. And uh, they let me move back home uh, within six months. And I stayed on that Johnny Be Good role. But it, Chuck, you know how that goes. If the heart doesn't change. Yeah. <laughs> Behaviors can change for a while. That's right. It's not sustainable. Mm -mm. It's mm -mm. not sustainable. So uh, Proverbs says, uh, chapter 27, as water reflects the face, so a man's heart reflects the man. Eventually, I would make more poor choices. But ultimately, one of the gang members that I respected came to faith in Christ through my sister's babysitter. Okay. So that's a kind of a up close and personal because this guy's coming to my house to see this Christian young woman. And she won't let him in the house. And she won't date him. And she doesn't have time of day for him. And he's this big, bad, reputable gang member who can have anybody he wants, but not this Christian girl. Mm -hmm. So I'm watching her model her faith in front of me. Ultimately, he goes to like a bowling outing with 30 other teenagers and gets saved at the bowling outing. Wow. And then his life does a radical 180. And the, one of the first people he comes to with the gospel is me because he sees me trying to be him. Hmm. And that goes on and God's planting the seeds of the truth. By the time I'm 17, on Father's Day, I go to church. There's a message entitled, How Good is Good Enough. And I hear that the prostitute and the drug dealer and the rapist are going to the same place as the corporate CEO, as the philanthropist that gives thousands or millions, as the firefighter who's the first responder, if all six are without Christ, they all wind up in the same place. Mm. And it just rocked my whole life philosophy. And I raised my hand and go forward and come to Christ at 17. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that's uh, the how-to of recognizing your Romans 4, 4 and 5, you know, to the one who works his wage not given to him as a favor, but what it is due. But to him who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is reckoned to him as righteousness. Hmm. And so I came to understand that works and wages is not the way to glory. It's belief and faith. And I surrendered my life on that day. So you're in high school? In high school. So now it's my senior year of high school. So I got saved the summer before my senior year of high school. 
And now I'm ashamed to say I'm Christian because I've been breaking my neck for 11 years to, to have this thug life reputation. Mm-hmm. And I, quite frankly, I didn't know any Christian athletes or, or, or guys with swag. So <laughs> <laughs> all the Christians I knew, uh, you know, weren't involved in sports. Right. So I just didn't want to be that guy. But when the Holy Spirit comes in, he makes changes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he brings about transformation. So by the time I'm uh, second semester senior, I'm convicted that I'm not telling anybody about this radical change that God's made in my life. And I buy this gold charm. It says, try God on it. It's about the size of a dime. Mm-hmm. And I buy like a 30 inch chain so you can never see it. Right. <laughs> but it's my witness. Right? right. Right. And I'm the captain of the track team. And one day I'm running late for practice and I leave the chain on by mistake. I don't hang it in my locker. And everybody's looking. And I'm so arrogant, you know, at the time, Chuck, that I think they're looking at, you know, my warm up or my. Right, you know, right. I'm going to be first team all state in my event or whatever I'm thinking. Right. But I don't realize I have the chain on. We get practice is over. We're in the shower. Somebody yells from somewhere I can't see Andre Sims, are you a Christian? I mean, wow. it was so loud, it sounded like God was talking. Wow. <laughs> and I hadn't told anybody other than my parents uh-huh. that I'd made this choice. Yeah. So the, the, the cat was out the bed. Yeah, all of a sudden, I've got people playing 20 questions with me. Right. And I'm trying to figure out who's asked me this. Like, I don't know, how does someone know? Uh-huh. And it's this redhead, sophomore kid. I'm a senior. I'm the captain. I'm all state. This kid. Never won a race. Right. You know, I don't know. I don't even know his name. I, I know he's on the team. And he's got freckles and, you know, he weighs a buck oh five soaking right. wet. You right. Know, he's never competed in the varsity level. Yeah. And he's on fire for God. And he's got you intimidated, right? And, and he's right. <laughs> yeah. This kid is all in my face right. about <laughs> the command of the Great Commission to give the gospel. I've been praying and believing God that we're going to win this team for Christ. And I didn't know who he was going to use and how he was going to do it and how I could be involved. But that's why I came out. And you're the guy. Right. You've got the most influence of anybody on the team. So what are we going to do? What's the plan? How do we share? the? What are we doing? And I, I've never even prayed out loud before. So I am totally like, dude, if you say one more word, I'm going to probably <laughs> stuff you in that locker that you're getting your sweats out of. You know? <laughs> you know? His name was Rob Taylor. Uh, my brother in the Lord uh, discipled me. First guy I ever heard quote scripture. Uh-huh. Uh, first guy that ever introduced me to Keith Green music. First guy to ever uh, help me process what it means to be in God's word daily as opposed to just on Sunday with your Bible in the back of the back seat in the hood of the car, mm-hmm. back window of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was fearless, just fearless. For God. And, and I was attracted to that. Yeah. Yeah. Convicted by that. Yeah. Um, and it was contagious. Isn't it amazing when the Lord calls you into that that point in your life? That happened for me in high school, too. Mm. In, in that sense of I had a, a high school of 2,000 kids, and they asked our church youth group. We, we had a touring uh, group called Real Life Singers to sing at my ch- at my school in the assemblies uh, in front of two assemblies of of over 2000 kids Ooh. okay and i had and it was a christian concert okay and they asked us to sing i mean for a for a kid 
for for you to profess your faith like that, I mean, that's a turning. That was a turning point for me. <laughs> yes, sir. in my Christian walk, and I'm sure it was for you. You know, absolutely. Where you've got to now identify yourself with Jesus. Yeah, I mean, it, like I said, uh, I, I just hadn't seen anybody walking their faith out like that, especially not our age. Mm-hmm. And. Um, I, I wasn't reading the Bible. Like I say, I grab my Bible and bring it to Sunday school. But for someone to read it daily, for someone to, to find that, uh, quote unquote, deserted place to, to pray to God regularly and to have those spiritual disciplines in place and, and for that to be normal <laughs> mm-hmm. and asking me, so what do you do? What do you read? When do you spend time with God? All of these conversations are foreign to me. Right, right. <laughs> So what happens next? Let's move along here as we're telling your story. So, yep. so I I take a scholarship in Iowa, and there's a campus pastor there, and uh, I'm all excited about my new reputation in Christ because I don't have anything to live down. I get to just come in walking with the Lord, and, and that's who I am. Mm-hmm. And so that, that went well. Um, the first two weeks when no one else was on campus. <laughs> <laughs> then after two a day practices where over 22,000 people came to campus and it, it was a, it was a lot more challenging to, as a young Christian only been born again one year. Uh, Rob isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. And um, the subculture of the college life and a full, full, ride division one athlete um, with all the bells and whistles that go with that and the debauchery and uh, immoral lifestyle that's acceptable mm-hmm. for, for that. Mm-hmm. So I was just all twisted trying to figure out how to honor God uh, without being discipled, without a home church and, and trying to find my place on the football field. Long story short, the campus pastor Love sports. He he loved football more than any sport. And I was red shirted as a freshman. And so he had a captive audience. You could you couldn't get away from the guy. Mm-hmm. And eventually <laughs> I just succumbed. I mean, he was so faithful. I just I just gave in. I, I <laughs> broke down like a folding chair. Right. One day, went to his office, cried like a baby. I don't know what I'm doing. I want to honor God with my life. Mm. And that began a home church for me, discipleship for me him teaching me how to lead Bible study for guys on the team that were looking for someone like me mm-hmm. to, to identify with. And three years later, that became the love of my, my life. Seeing guys from the Bronx and Watts and Compton and um, Philly and Detroit come to Christ was a lot more interesting than the cadavers I was dissecting as a pre-med major at one in the morning because I had football practice. Mm -hmm. And he, Tom Hammond, the campus pastor, introduced me to Liberty University my junior year. And I transferred to Liberty to both play football and pursue ministry. Hmm. So I did my senior year of college in Lynchburg, Virginia. I'm one of Jerry's kids. Yeah, yeah. Yep. And... I met my wife the first day on campus, and uh, by the grace of God, um, was able to meet Dr. Falwell. I started an evangelistic 
a street ministry. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are the first group to ever sign a, a Christian rap recording contract. So there were nine of us, the most popular, which is a group called DC Talk. And a guy named Toby Mack right. was one of those nine. And um, that that is how ministry. So moving from Iowa, moving to Virginia, still pursuing training for ministry. Now I I feel like I'm called to pastoral ministry. Finishing my senior year, being drafted by the World Football League, which is now the NFL Europe. Of course, arena football now is owned by the NFL. But when I came out of school, the NFL didn't own either league. Mm-hmm. So it was go play and see if you can come back as a free agent to the NFL or let the university pay for your master's degree as a graduate student. I opted for ministry. I've never looked back. Yeah, yeah. And and that's that was the beginning of the journey of the call and the training, the marriage, graduation in 91, moving to Nashville, uh, singing on Benson Records for six years, meeting Dr. Tony Evans on the road while singing, becoming a part of his staff, and going to Dallas Theological Seminary in a doctorate program. What year was that when you went? 1997. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 20 years ago. So talk to me about that time in Dallas. We've got about uh, four minutes left. Just, I mean, it's Dr. Tony Evans. I mean, (laughs) to be offered an opportunity to work on his staff was the cat's meow as Mm -hmm. a young minister that hadn't taken a full-time ministry job yet. Mm -hmm. And, um, well, I was an associate pastor uh, at a Baptist church in Nashville and moved to Dallas because Dr. Evans offered me the opportunity to be on staff and go to school simultaneously. Mm-hmm. And I was allowed to go to school during the day as opposed to working nine to five and then going to school at night. And um, of course the program was phenomenal. Uh, Dr. Chuck Swindoll was the president at the time. Mm-hmm. So I got to hear him in chapel twice a week. Wow! And then I got to hear Dr. Evans every Wednesday, every Sunday, twice a week. So <laughs> for this young wannabe minister, to have these two, you know, giants of the faith yeah. pouring into me. And ultimately, Dr. Evans, if you see his picture now, of course, he's very fit. Uh, he's lost a lot of weight. But back then, he wanted a tr- to, for me to train him. I was a personal trainer as well. Mm-hmm. So I got to spend three hours a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And he, it was a bartering of services. Right. I'm doing the physical training. And then I'm allowed to ask any theological question from seminary I want to ask. <laughs> and we did that for two years. Wow. <laughs> wow. Personally mentored by Dr. Evans. That's that. an amazing opportunity. Oh, my gosh. It's uh, one of the greatest experiences I've ever had. So I graduate, and we're having conversation about whether to take over an existing work in the country or plant uh, somewhere. And we opted to go for a church plant in, at that time, number 50 of the 50 states, it was state number 50 of those individuals professing to have no religion, the most unchurched state in the nation. And here we are. Federal Way, Washington. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've got about uh, a minute and a half left. Tell me about Christ the King Bible Fellowship. We are a multi-ethnic cross-cultural body. Our vision statement is growing people from every tribe, tongue, and nation into disciples. So I'm African-American. Our youth pastor is Hispanic. Our church administrator is Filipino. Uh, 
We have four board members, two Anglo brothers, two African-American brothers. I mean, we just are intentional in every aspect of ministry and uh, believing that God's going to allow the church to look like what heaven looks like. Mm-hmm. So uh, making progress in that vein. Andre, just a, a, a minute left here. What, what would you say your life message is? You know, some people have a life verse. Some people have a life message. What What would you say that your 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 life reflects as far as the the message the Lord would have give? Yeah, I'd probably go with the verse First uh, Samuel sixteen verse seven. For God does not look at what man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, I would just say that uh, you know what you see is not always what you get. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't want to try to judge a book by its cover but by the content of character. Amen. Yeah. Well, Andre, thank you for joining me today on Heart of the City. If you'd Thanks like for to, having me, Chad. You bet. If you'd like to reach out and, and uh, talk to uh, email Andre, you can go to dr.andre underscore S-I-M-S at C-K-B-F dot O-R-G. God bless. God bless you. You've been listening to this KGNW special, Heart of the City. For more information about how your pastor or ministry can be featured on 820 AM The Word, call Chuck Olmstead at 206-269-6216 or go to 820amtheword.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.